What's up everybody? In today's episode, we're going to talk about how you can crush the mental game using three peak performance principles. Now I'm going to dive into a couple books and podcasts. So get your notebook ready and let's rock and roll. The big question is this, how are baseball players like us who don't have the best resources, connections, and training facilities, who aren't naturally big, strong, fast, or powerful, how can we train, eat, practice, perform, and live to absolutely dominate on the diamond? Now that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Christopher Corper, and welcome to House of Velo Radio. Episode 002 of House of Velo Radio. Today's topic deals with crushing the mental game. Three peak performance principles for pitchers and hitters. You're going to walk away from today's episode with some guidance and direction and some, some great questions to ask yourself surrounding the mental game. And the reason we're covering this topic today is because literally every single athlete that I've talked to since launching this podcast and the majority of parents and coaches that I've talked to have said, hey, we need some help when it comes to the mental side of baseball. And (laughs) don't we all, right? (laughs) Man, when I was playing, that was like the single most important thing for me to dial in to find success on the baseball field. Would you agree with me? I mean, if your mental game is weak, if it's off, you might be the most gifted physical specimen of an athlete and you can't you can't perform yet if your mental game is like ninja level matrix style it's just incredible you might not be the most physical specimen of an athlete and you might just absolutely crush it playing the game so i mean and i know that you can all agree with me on that that the mental side of baseball it manifests itself physically in how you perform. So the three peak performance principles, you're gonna remember these easily with this acronym, WIN, W-I-N. Principle number one is work. It's a peak performance principle that all successful athletes who really succeed with the mental side of the game have in common, is work. So work is defined as activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. So this is activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. So I'm going to pull from a book that I've been reading or just finished. It's uh, called Atomic Habits. Awesome read. Page 235 says, quote, this is James Clear, by the way. He says, we all have goals that we would like to achieve and dreams we would like to fulfill. But it doesn't matter what you are trying to become better at if you only do the work when it's convenient or exciting. You'll never be consistent enough to achieve remarkable results if this is how you operate. says, I can guarantee that if you manage to start a habit and keep sticking to it, there will be days when you feel like quitting. 
When you start a business, there will be days when you don't feel like showing up. When you're at the gym, there will be sets that you don't feel like finishing. When it's time to write, there will be days that you don't feel like typing. But stepping up when it's annoying or painful or draining to do so, that's what makes the difference between a professional and an amateur. Professionals stick to the schedule. Amateurs let life get in the way. Professionals know what is important to them and work toward it with a purpose. Amateurs get pulled off course by the urgencies of life. David Kane, an author and meditation teacher, encourages his students to avoid being, quote, fair-weather meditators. Similarly, you don't want to be a fair-weather athlete or a fair-weather writer or a fair-weather anything. When a habit is truly important to you, I would say when a goal is truly important to you, you have to be willing to stick to it in any mood. Professionals take action even when the mood isn't right. They might not enjoy it, but they find a way to put the reps in. There have been a lot of sets that I haven't felt like finishing, but I've never regretted doing the workout. There have been a lot of articles I haven't felt like writing, but I never regretted publishing on schedule. There have been a lot of days I felt like relaxing, but I've never regretted showing up and working on something that was important to me. The only way to become excellent is to be endlessly fascinated by doing the same thing over and over. You have to fall in love with boredom. That's from Atomic Habits. That's powerful, so work, right? So I like to think of baseball players as professional craftsmen. We talk about honing our craft as a baseball player, taking pride in our craft, whether it's that slider you're working on, spotting up your fastball, or it's your swing, like you own that swing, you're working on you know, making it beautiful, functional, powerful, consistent, Honing your craft, your skill set as a baseball player is, it's really, it comes down to putting in the work. A craftsman is a person who is skilled in a particular craft, and craft is an activity involving physical skills. Baseball, more than any other sport, debate me on that, I know you guys all agree, <laughs> It's a skill sport. I mean, hitting and throwing a baseball, feeling a baseball, takes massive skill. And the only way to develop that is to really, to actually work at developing those skills. And I can break down skill, you know, and in, into in the craft of baseball into three areas. Physical, mental, and I include lifestyle in becoming a professional craftsman in approaching your work in developing yourself as a baseball player. Physical, what includes strength and conditioning, what you do in the gym, what you do before and after games to recover, and then the physical aspect also of skill. So getting your reps in the cage, getting your reps on the mound, long toss, tee work, you know, all of the things, feeling ground balls, everything that, that includes building that skill set as a baseball player is in that physical category. The mental category of being a professional craftsman would include visualization of what you want to accomplish. That's in like the macro and the micro. Macro meaning big picture, micro meaning 
small picture, like tiny, micro, microorganisms, macromolecules. So the macro would be like big picture season, big picture career. What do you visualize yourself accomplishing and being, becoming? And then the micro visualization is at bats, pitches, you know, getting down into the, the very small details of what you visualize yourself accomplishing um, on a micro level with the game. The other aspect I would say in mental, the mental side of being a professional craftsman and approaching your work like that would be the meditation of baseball. The mental side of meditating on what you've done well and what you can improve, having that process of really thinking through the game, becoming a student of the game, meditating on it, thinking about it in the times that you're not at the field. That's huge. The third thing, lifestyle. This involves environment and routines. And we'll talk more about this, but like really successful players craft an environment that allows them to become more successful over time because their environment feeds and fuels the actions that are necessary to become a championship athlete, to become like top level, maximize what they want to maximize. And environment and routines are very, very much linked, right? So if, if I have, for example, designed my bedroom as an environment for me to be able to maximize my sleep gains, then that's gonna help me have the routine that leads to quality sleep. Blacking out my windows, no TV, shutting off the cell phone, getting good you know, sheets, having it cool. All of those things that would help me maximize my, my routine and my environment, you know, that'll help me when I show up it, to go to bed, like do those things that I need to to get quality sleep. So anyways, mental, physical, lifestyle, professional craftsmen work, right? Work is the first peak performance principle you've got to lock in. You got, you've got to have a, just an indomitable work ethic if you want to be great at something. Like, you can have talent, you can have God-given ability, but you will never maximize it without a high-quality work ethic. So here's some key questions to ask yourself as I wrap up this, this principle. Number one, Ask yourself why you're putting in the work. Are you putting in the work because your parents want you to? Be or because you want to be cool, you want to be liked? You know, or are you putting in the work because you're driven to do it and you want to accomplish something great in your career? You want to win games and you want to add to a team and you want to, you want to have those experiences. The next question I would ask is, what am I working towards? So what do I see myself becoming? What do I see this team becoming? What do I want for my baseball career? Do I want to just play high school and love that? Great. Do I want to go on and play college ball or pro ball? Great. Get a bigger picture vision for what you want to work towards. Think about the athletes that have accomplished massive success in their careers. Don't care what sport, football, basketball, baseball, track and field, Olympics. These guys, these women, these men, they have a very clear picture of what they're working towards. So when they're putting in the reps early in the morning, late at night, when they're staying after practice, when they're showing up early, it's all because they know what they're working towards. So what are you working towards? Next question, how much work am I putting in? Am I just getting by? Am I just showing up for the amount of time that I have to, <laughs> you know, that I'm required to by my team? 
or am I putting in extra work? How much work am I putting in? Next question to that would be, what is the quality of the work that I'm putting in? Is it professional level or is it amateur level? Can you control that? Absolutely. Next question, and now this is this is a fun one visually. So if you were to watch a reality show of yourself, let's say somebody was like had a YouTube vlog of you day to day, what would you think of that vlog? What would you think of that reality show? And then what suggestions would you give yourself as you watch that? So think about your day-to-day and how you approach the game, how you approach the, the work, how you approach your craft, and ask yourself what suggestions would you give yourself if you could watch yourself 24-7, and you might find just from that question that you can pull out some things that you want to improve. And then ask yourself, what can I change and improve in my lifestyle, in the way that I approach my craft to get more high quality work? HQW, baby, high quality work. That's what you want. We don't want low quality work. That is a waste of time. And and sometimes that can actually cause us to reverse our progress. For example, if you go in and take 200 low quality hacks in the cage, you start teaching your body poor muscle memory, poor patterns, you're gonna actually delay the process of creating your best swing because of that low quality work you put in. Isn't that crazy? Same thing goes with throwing. So high quality work, HQW, remember that. You always wanna be putting in that high quality work. What do you think? Do you think it's better to put in a ton of medium quality work or a smaller amount of high quality work? Speaking from personal experience, it is way better to put in a few less hours of high quality work than to spend a ton of time doing low quality stuff. And that goes for strength and conditioning, skill work, and everything else related. It's like it is better to get smaller amount of time, better quality than longer time and lower quality. So this is like, this is this bigger thing of just kind of self-assessing and trying to look at how you can totally optimize your work, okay? So remember, win, three peak performance principles. First one is work, the next is I, and that stands for intent or intentionality. So why would this be a key peak performance principle for pitchers and hitters when it comes to the mental game? Intent is defined as a resolved or determined to do something. So you're resolved or determined to do something. Attentively occupied with a thing. So here's some synonyms for the word intent to just drive this point home. Determined, insistent, focused, fixed, resolved, hell-bent, attentive, absorbed, engrossed, fascinated, concentrated, intense, Studious, steady, alert, and observant. So just as important as how much we work and how we work is how we practice, how we do these things. We kind of touched on that under the work category. But an intentional athlete approaches their craft in a determined, focused, fixed hell-bent, absorbed, fascinated, concentrated, studious, steady, alert, observant way. Like they approach each practice, each session with that attitude. 
what players can you think of in your in your experience that were that way? What 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 extremely successful athletes were intentional? Think of it. And that's who you want to be like. You do not want to be like the non-intentional, lazy, unfocused, all the opposite of all those synonyms. You do not want to be that guy. If you're trying to maximize your mental game, you have to be intentional. And that is a conscious decision that you make. It's a decision that you make when you step out of the car and you walk through the parking lot, through the gates of the field, you make that decision. You say, I'm intentional today. Like I'm gonna be intentional with each repetition in the gym. When you set foot in that weight room and you see the barbell, you see the dumbbells, you see that space, you are intentional about each repetition. You're focused. Now, does that mean you don't have fun? Absolutely not. Intentional people, people who like to work, athletes who like to get after it, have the most fun in the long run. Trust me. Because it's fun to succeed. It's fun to win. It's fun to see progress. It is not fun to lose. And intentional athletes win. And that's, that's a key thing. So here's some key questions. Actually, you know what? I'm going to turn to, uh, I'm gonna turn to um, a story here, okay? This deals with this second principle of peak performance, intent. And this comes from, again, Atomic Habits. So this, this deals with the British cycling team. So listen to this story and apply it to your career as a baseball player. Check this out. The fate of British cycling changed one day in 2003. The organization, which was the governing body for professional cycling in Great Britain, had recently hired Dave Brailsford as its new performance director. At the time, professional cyclists in Great Britain had endured nearly 100 years of mediocrity. Since 1908, British riders had won just a single gold medal at the Olympic Games, and they had fared even worse in cycling's biggest race, the Tour de France. In 110 years, no British cyclist had ever won the event in 110 years. In fact, the performance of British riders had been so underwhelming that one of the top bike manufacturers in Europe refused to sell bikes to the team because they were afraid they would hurt their sales if other professionals saw the Brits using their gear. That's, <laughs> that's pretty intense. So Brailsford had been hired to put British cycling on a new trajectory. So hey, pause for a second. Think about this. If you've ever felt like you're in a slump, or you're just getting hammered on the mound, right? Like you would kind of be like this British cycling team. <laughs> Nobody wants them wearing your jersey. You know, they don't want you. You don't. You don't want to be seen wearing that jersey, man, because no, nobody's gonna to want to come play at this school because <laughs> this this dude's on this team, right? I, I think we can all relate to having that rough patch. <laughs> so this is where the British cycling team was. If you if you're there, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. So Brailsford had been hired to put British cycling on a new trajectory. So you want to get out of that hole. You want to get out of that slump. You want to, you want to get out of that slump on the mound. That's, that's where you are. So what made him different from previous coaches was his relentless commitment to a strategy that he referred to as, quote, the aggregation of marginal gains which was the philosophy of searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything you do. Brailsford said, quote, the whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you could think that goes into riding a bike and then improve it by 1%, you would get a significant increase when you put them all together. 
Brailsford and his coaches began by making small adjustments you might expect from a professional cycling team. They redesigned the bike seats to make them more comfortable. They rubbed alcohol in the tires for better grip. They asked riders to wear electrically heated overshorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature while riding and use biofeedback sensors to monitor how each athlete responded to a particular workout. The team tested various fabrics in a wind tunnel, had their outdoor riders switch to indoor racing suits, which proved to be lighter and more aerodynamic, but they didn't stop there. Brailsford and his team continued to find 1% improvements in overlooked and unexpected areas. They tested different types of massage gels to see which led to the fastest muscle recovery. They hired a surgeon to teach each rider the best way to wash their hands to reduce the chances of catching a cold. They determined the type of pillow and mattress that led to the best night's sleep for each rider. They even painted the inside of the team truck white, which helped them spot little bits of dust that would normally slip by unnoticed but could degrade the performance of the finely tuned bikes. As these and hundreds of other small improvements accumulated over time, the results came faster than anyone could have imagined. Just five years after Brailsford took over, the British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, where they won an astounding 60% of the gold medals available. Four years later, when the Olympic Games came to London, the Brits raised the bar as they set nine Olympic records and seven world records. That same year, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. The next year, his teammate Chris Froome won the race and he would go on to win again in 2015, 2016, and 2017, giving the British team five Tour de France victories in six years. During the 10-year span from 2007 to 2017, British cyclists won 178 world championships and 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. How does this happen? How does a team of previously ordinary athletes transform into world champions with tiny changes that at first glance would seem to make a modest difference at best? Why do small improvements accumulate, accumulate into such remarkable results and how can you replicate this approach in your craft? I'm gonna slam that book. Boom, that gets me pumped up. That's intention. Every little detail, attent, absorbed, engrossed, fascinated, concentrated, intense, studious, steady, alert, observant, hell bent on accomplishing that goal. Small things lead to big things. If you're not intent, you are missing that opportunity. If you wanna bust out of that slump, you want to improve your hitting, you want to improve your pitching, you want to improve your game, improve your craft, you've got to be intentional. So here are the key questions for this section. How do I approach my craft? What words would I use to describe my approach to my work? What words would you use to describe how you currently approach your work, your craft, baseball, the game? What words would you use or would you want to be used to describe your approach? So if other people were talking about you and, you and you weren't there, what would you want them to say about you? 
dude, that guy, that guy's just hardest worker ever. Hardest worker we've ever seen. He's so coachable, right? Like those are the things that intent athletes, those are the words that people use to describe that type of athlete. And by the way, an intent athlete is a, is a great teammate, right? Because they're focused on improving their game. They're going to be the type of teammate that attracts other teammates to them. They're going to be the type of teammate that does not care about playing time, doesn't care about any of that uncontrollable stuff, but just wants to win and help their team improve. Man, that's a team guy right there, right? So now, what do you think is one thing you want to focus on improving this approach? How can you be more intentional? Okay, so think about that. Right, so now we've covered two principles, right? The first one, work. The second one, intent. And then so for when, the last one is N and the word, this is nirvana. You're going to remember that because it's weird. I know. <laughs> I was looking up a bunch of different words. I'm like, okay, you know what? I looked up the definition to nirvana. For me, I'm like thinking of the band. But nirvana comes from the Eastern cultures, Hinduism and Buddhism. And like broadly defined nirvana, when, W-I-N, work, intent, nirvana, it's defined as a place or state characterized by freedom from worry. Let me repeat that. Nirvana is a place or state, okay, characterized by freedom from worry. It is an ideal condition of harmony, stability, focus, and joy. That's insane. This word is to me, it describes what athletes call the zone. You know what I'm talking about? Where that, that baseball, when you're hitting, looks like a freaking watermelon. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I'm going to freak anything in the zone, I'm going to crush. Or when you're a pitcher and you're on the mound and, the, and home plate seems like it's like three feet away, and you literally are like, your release point is like at the glove, pop, just spotting up everything you throw. When your stuff is on the zone, that's nirvana, right? That's that ideal condition of harmony, stability, focus. It's a state as an athlete, a physical state where you're free from worry, you're free from all that stuff, okay? That can hold us back mentally. Because when, when the athletes are talking about, hey, I need help with my mental game, you know what they need help with? They need help with this one thing, okay? It's, it, and I would, I would wrap it up in one word. When any athlete is struggling with the mental game, they are struggling with noise. Mental, emotional noise. What's noise? Noise is defined as a sound or thought, especially one that is loud or unpleasant or that causes disturbance. In physics, noise is defined as a disturbance, especially a random and persistent disturbance that obscures or reduces the clarity of a signal. So, so noise is what we deal with as athletes, hitters, pitchers, right? That's what we deal with. That's what holds our mental game back. We want to be in the zone. We want to be in that state of nirvana. But when we get hit with noise, that's what takes us out of that state. And that can last a long time. Man, I've been in scenarios where the noise, I let it get to me for games at a time, even seasons where I was distracted by noise. I was getting disturbed by the noise. 
The clarity of my mind as a hitter was interrupted by those random and persistent disturbances. Here's some words that are used, the synonyms to noise. Din, clamor, racket, uproar, commotion, pandemonium. It's the exact opposite of the zone, is the noise. So check this out. Ask yourself the question, what noise do you get exposed to that affects your performance? Can you think of experiences you've had where this noise has distracted you from having a quality at bat or inning or game or season? And I think the noise kind of comes down into two main areas. There's external noise and there's internal noise, right? So I think external noise would be our coaches, parents, fans, and teammates. Like, it's, it's crazy to think about this in this light because <laughs> there's so, so many things and, and external noise is out of our control, right? Like we cannot control that. Um, what are some phrases that you've, that you've heard from parents, coaches, fans, teammates? I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember playing, it was in the state championship up in Albuquerque and I still remember this noise to this day. That's how impactful freaking noise is. <laughs> I'm, up, I'm up to the plate. We've got a runner on second base, tied 0-0 with the number one seed in the state. And this is to go to um, the, the semifinals. It's a huge game for us. And I remember, because I'm a pretty tall dude, pretty, pretty, pretty big corn-fed dude, right? And I remember walking up to the plate, and the stands were packed. Okay, a bunch of students, fans, like crazy. Environment was crazy. Somebody yells at me, go back to the cornfields, you giant. Go back. You're on roids. Like people were like, where's your needles? People were, were talking about my size. And, you know, there's just like that noise. I can still remember that because I heard it. You can't not hear it. Okay. Um, there have been other times where, where the fans are just, you know, hecklers, right? But maybe sometimes it's a coach. Hey. You're flying open on the mound. You're flying open. You're leaving the ball up. Get the ball down, right? Don't swing at that. You're dropping your hands. Think of all those noises that come, right? But then there's the internal noise, yourself. Man, I got to make contact here. Like, I got to get this runner over. Got to lay down this bunt. Got to spot up. Don't strike out. RBI situation, got to come through. Keep your hands back. Oh, man, I'm flying open. Coach said I'm flying open. Got to keep, got to get my arm here, right? Got to keep, stay closed. Man, you know, like all those things can come to our minds and they can come to our minds at different points in the game. Like we can give ourselves noise in between innings. We can give ourselves a negative noise after an at-bat, before an at-bat, during an at-bat, during a pitch, during an inning, during a key situation. Crazy, right? So all this noise is there to, it's disrupting our state, the zone, the place of stability where we're free from worry, where the place where we can really play free like a kid, where we could play like a t-ball, where we don't freaking care what people think of us, or what people are saying. We're just out there swinging it. We're out there playing the game. The noise keeps us from that, okay? So I'm going to play a clip from the Ed Milet show with Sean White. Okay, Sean White is, is an epic snowboarder. I mean, he's, he's like the best all-time snowboarder, professional snowboarder, professional skateboarder, just killer extreme athlete. And... He's, he's going to talk a little bit in these, in these couple minutes I'm going to share with you about what he does before his half-pipe runs. This dude's won gold medals, X Games, and he's going to share a little bit about what he does. And I want you to think about yourself, and I want you to connect your experience hitting or pitching 
with what Sean White is saying and pull some principles from that. Really listen in, lean in, because this is like one time you get to hear this world-class, best at what he does athlete reveal some of the principles around this key performance principle of Nirvana, right? Finding the zone. What does he do to get in that zone, to win a gold medal, to dominate? So think about what you can do based on what Sean White is saying. So I'm gonna roll this clip. If I know after I warm up, I'm good for 20 solid runs, let's practice less. Mm -hmm. So then I now show up and I go, okay, cool. Like I'm gonna show up with that 30 minute warm up, And then after that, I know I'm gonna land my runs because mm -hmm. I'm like the hottest, I'm gonna be all day. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not tired. I've just hit my like warm up streak and I'm gonna do it. And mm -hmm. so I watch people all the time go up there and they over practice. Yes. And it's something that I noticed um, Tiger Woods does in a way. Mm -hmm. I was watching a video and they were describing his 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 mentality of things where he'll like step up to the ball and he'll like look at the ball, look at where he's gonna hit it, look at the ball again, then hit it. Mm -hmm. And if that routine doesn't work, he goes back and starts the whole system over again. So it's kind of the same idea of like, you can overthink it, you can mm -hmm. overdo it. And if mm -hmm. you know a system of like how to, okay, I get to the ball, I look once, ball, look, boom. Like, yes. that's, the, that's the system you wanna follow. So now that I know that works for me, I show up. What happens for you, I'm curious, so now you're in the starting block. Yeah. Is that, is that, am I saying oh, yeah. that right? Yeah, the start gate. It's the start gate, you're for at the sure. start gate. What are you doing when you're there? You know, you've told me Dude, this already, but so I love like, this. My mind's racing as yeah. you're saying that because like, well, literally the last thing I, you won't find me at the start gate. If it's not my run, I'm taking laps. I'm free riding around the mountain because I don't want to sit there and like watch the count, the counting clock going down. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God, here's my run. You don't want that. You want to show up like you just took a lap and you're fresh, your legs are fresh and, and, other riders have started doing it. Now. I see them all now, like following me around the chair. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Because if you sit there, it's too much to just sit and like watch this. Oh my God, this countdown to your moment. So I, I take free riding laps around the mountain. Then I show up, check in. How many more riders? Ten more. Cool. I got one more lap. Come back. Get my board wax. I show up, and then in the start gate, it's an interesting time. So the guys you really want to see are toward the end because after qualifying, they're mm -hmm. seated mm -hmm. on the rankings from the day before. So when I'm up there, I usually get three people out, and after the first of the three go, I put in one binding. <clears throat> Just put in one. It's this specific. Oh yeah, and then after the second guy goes. Uh, I put in the second binding. And I don't really watch those two. I kind of glance, but I kind of like thinking to myself of my run, I'm thinking of you know things, and talking to people, and anything to kill the time. And then the third and last person drops, and I watch that one. And I'm waiting for like what we talked about. Yeah. I'm waiting for the, oh, he made it so I can make it, or he fell, perfect. You know, and that's my moment. Um, and then I have a little routine of like high-fiving my one guy mm -hmm. and, and usually playing the same song because mm -hmm. it's a trigger. Yes. Um, so it's like one foot in, second mm -hmm. foot in, that guy goes, whatever happens, check the score, high-five my guy, and then go. And, and I don't really miss a beat. Like when they tell me to go, I'm like ready to go. Or if I'm not, I'll take an extra minute, like the step up to the golf swing. Like I'll, I'll, I'll kind of readjust, put my goggles, listen to the song, then go again. Yeah. Um, it's ability to shrink focus in the moment yeah. in that routine. So if you're listening to this, what's your routine? I'm so fired up listening to that clip because what did you pull away from that? Now, 
one of the one of the things that I realized listening to it a few times now is like Sean White knows exactly what his routine is, and and there's this little point in there where Ed Milet's like, it's that specific, huh? And he just keeps going and, and describing it. And what Sean's describing is an awareness and intention. You notice how intentional he is with his routine. Like, he's over his career, he's developed it because he's intentional about it. If he wasn't ever thinking about how to optimize that, he would have never done it. And so he's been intentional, and then he's also, what he's doing is he's setting himself up with a ritual to decrease and eliminate the noise, the disturbances that obscure the clarity of his state of nirvana, of the zone that he wants to be in. And he does that through a very specific process that he's established as an athlete. So the bottom line is this. You can't control the external or internal noise. You can't control that. The only thing you can control is how you respond to that noise. So you could take, you could take measures prior to when the noise hits you, during and then after, right? So the thing that you got to do before the noise hits you, you got to have in place is a ritual and routine. Sean White talked about that. Tiger Woods, he mentioned Tiger Woods in there. How many great athletes do you know of that have a ritual or routine before they play, before they go up to the plate, before they get on the mound? Be conscious of your routine and try to make it something that's repeatable and that you can use in those situations to decrease the noise. I would encourage you to practice your routine and your thought process in practice. People don't really talk about this. I mean, like, in, I can't remember really, one, maybe one or two times I had a couple coaches who talked about this, but it's, it's, it's not really talked about in high school baseball, and it's not really talked about in college baseball um, frequently. It's like it's not a part of the conversation. Hey, what, what are you thinking? What, what's your state right now in the cage or in the bullpen? Let's get you into that zone now mentally as we work on mechanics. That way you become comfortable with being there mentally. The, it's All I see so often is like, hey, change this, change that mechanically, change this mechanically. But oftentimes... The mechanics of an athlete are not because they don't know how to do it or it's not within them. It's because their mind, they're thinking a thought that, that um, manifests itself physically. So coaches and parents, remember this. Think about this. If your son is out in front of the ball, right, when he's hitting, or, or, your, or your athlete, maybe it's because they're thinking a certain thought that is causing them to do that versus just their mechanics, so if you can help them feel a state in which they're on time, that's the moneymaker because that state can be replicated much easier than a mechanical change. Like it takes forever to make a mechanical change, not forever. It takes a ton of reps to make an actual mechanical change that lasts and like create muscle memory. You can't do it in one session. But what you can do is help somebody get into a state of mind, a state of presence where they can make that athletic fluid movement more rep replicable. Okay, so rituals and routines, practice that, okay? Then the next thing you gotta have is some keywords or phrases that you think that help you get into that state. This is, this is really good because this is like your quick draw, six shooter, pop, 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 knock that noise out in the moment when it hits you. Like you may have that ritual and routine in place, but then you're up there, somebody yells something, you hear it, what are you gonna do to, to knock that out right away when it hits you randomly? 
Okay, that's your keyword or phrase that you have in that moment. So for me, it was be easy. So I'm up at the plate, I'm gonna be easy. Because I, I was always swinging way too hard. So dial it back, be easy, breathe, breathe. Oof. You know, something super simple that, that can get you into that state, whatever it is for you. Okay, and the other, the, the third thing I'd say here when it comes to controlling the noise is your attitude and your vision. So Sean White, if you remember in that clip, he talked about whatever, if the guy had a good run, good. If the guy had a bad room, bad run, good. Either way things went, it was good. Because guy had a good run, great, it's more motivation. He's going to go dominate and show off even more and just crush it. Guy had a bad run, great. He's going to take advantage of that because he's ready to roll. He's done the preparation. He's locked in. He's loaded. That's an advantage. So whatever happens in front of you as a player, whether you're pitching or hitting, good. Got to have that attitude. No matter what happens, good. It's an opportunity. If you fail, good. You can learn from that. What can you take from that to improve the next time you're up? It's always a response of good. Glad that happened. I'm going to rock and roll, and I'm going to get better. Or good, I'm in this situation. I've got the bases loaded. They just walked the guy to load the bases for me. Good. They're bringing me in out of the pen. Key situation. We're tied. Late innings. Whatever. Good. I'm the guy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dominate, but then also I'm gonna learn from this, right? And and those things can really, really help you stay in the zone and overcome the noise. So those are the three things: win, right? Win. Three peak performance principles for pitchers and hitters: work, intent, and nirvana. So here's the thing: the 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 harder you work, the more intentional you are about the work. And, and the better your routines and your phrases and your attitude in the moment of competition, the more confident you will be in your ability to deliver and perform. Confidence comes as a result of putting in the work. It comes as a result of high quality practice, of really being intentional, being hell-bent, attentive, absorbed in the process of becoming better. And being in the zone is the state where you are just totally confident that you can, that you can win, okay? So remember win, the three peak performance principles for pitchers and hitters. Use these principles to go out today and improve your mental game. That's it for today's episode, guys, and I will catch you next time. Be on the lookout for more great content. And as always, hit me up with any questions that you have. I'll catch you next time. Go out and crush the mental game. This has been another episode of House of Velo Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Shoot me an email at thehouseofvelo at gmail.com with any questions. And, uh, you know, if you have subjects you want me to cover, whatever, let me know. Email is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Or you could DM me at the House of Velo on Instagram. But, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Keep crushing.